Hello everyone, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, depending on where you're listening from. Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful episode of the Coalescence Publishing Podcast, where we talk about everything there is to do with literature. Now, before we get into our very exciting episode today, which why we'll tell you all about that here in a minute, I did want to kind of tell you all a little bit about who we are. Again, you know, just for new listeners and stuff. Coalescence Publishing is a company that we started up where we want to re-envision the literary world. We have a focus on indie authors, and we want to make the path to being a published author easier than what it normally is because all the people querying with agents, waiting three to four months just to not get an answer back. We, we want to stop that. And that's what we're here for. You know, we, we are here to bring a new spark to the literature world. So if that's something you all are interested in, by all means, we'll talk about it in this podcast. And, you know, later on when we launch our main website, you can definitely check us out there too. But for now, if you want more information, be sure to, I guess as all the other fancy people say, like, share, and subscribe to our <laughs> content. <laughs> um, Wyatt, do you want to tell them about some of the exciting stuff we have coming out? Here in like the next month or two now now that we're talking about it yeah absolutely um so coalescence is beginning to push forward our first wave of publications from our staff authors um so we have uh you can actually see most of these projects that are going to get published on our patreon um you are can subscribe at any level. Um, there is even a free uh, $0 subscribe option on Patreon where you can read our, where you can read our, uh, our content as it's written. And as it's edited, you get to see some of the raw uh, first edition versions of these books. Um, and then uh at the higher level dollar level, you actually get a lot of great perks and uh, we're constantly thinking of new and innovative ways to reward the supporters, the Patreon supporters of coalescence when we uh, launch to add on to that. So nothing's set in stone here, but one of the um, we're looking at redoing our Patreon system a little bit. And for listening in, you guys get a little sneak peek on that. So basically, one thing we're going to be looking into is one of our authors has someone that does leatherworking. Really cool hobby. I never knew it took so much stuff to do it. I always thought you just put the hide out on a tannin rack and put some salt on it. And that was it. No, there's so much. More <laughs> you all, you just play Skyrim. Like you just press X and, and <laughs> the yeah. leather makes itself. <laughs> but one thing we're looking at offering with one of the Patreon roles, when we redo the hierarchy system and stuff is having a leather bound book cover 
for the book you order, laser engraved on the leather, personalized for you. So that's something you can definitely be on the lookout for later on down the line. Um, other than that, though, besides the Patreon, we are doing our big company launch in September. Uh, we still need to figure out an exact date, uh, but we are getting close. Our website's going to launch. We're going to start accepting authors for publication as well. Um, we'll talk more about that as the time comes closer, but we do have a list of preliminary authors that we're going to be publishing um, when we first launched the website, as well as our own writing team as well. So other than that, you guys just keep listening and we'll talk more about it on another episode with that. But yeah, be sure to just uh, add this in. Yeah. Be sure to check out our social media. um, If you want more, keep up with uh, those updates and, and stuff like that, that'll uh, definitely keep you in the loop. Our our mar- media and marketing team is pretty phenomenal at, at keeping everything up to date. So, absolutely, they the I tell you they just pour their heart out with this stuff, and I I really do appreciate it. But enough about all that financial and business <laughs> stuff. The preliminaries. Let's, yeah, let's let's talk about the very exciting world of world building. Wyatt, do you want to start us off on this? Yeah. So this is the beginning of a new series. We are going to finish up our series or uh, I should say, continue our series on genre talks. Um, But we, we kind of just wanted to start um, something new right now where we're continuing our genre talks and, um, coming up with new ideas and, and new topics to discuss on that. But we thought it would be a great idea. There are a lot of great YouTube channels out there that talk about writing and world building. You can look at Hello Future Me. You can look at um, Overly Sarcastic Productions. These are great YouTube channels that talk about the, the foundations, the techniques, and, and so many different aspects of world building. But me and Casey thought there's not many, there's not many YouTube channels out there or or podcasts out there that do the world building live and, and go through the process with the audience. So guess what? That's what we're going to do today. Is the beginning of a a journey. That will go on indefinitely, depending on if you guys love this uh, sort of content. Um, and we are going to be starting fresh on a new fictional setting and world building from the ground up. And for the audience that sticks around and, and listens, they will have the uh, the wonderful privilege of being in the beginning of, of a setting that could possibly lead into uh, books that are that that me and Casey and or Casey might write. And also um, we've also talked about 
using this setting in a sort of uh, live role playing game situation uh, for our viewers and our listeners. The homebrew just <laughs> so so. If you are interested in this sort of thing, uh, make sure to ring the bell if you're listening on YouTube and subscribe, download, follow all those things on uh, other podcasts. But without further ado, um, let's get into it. So, one, Casey, one more thing. How? Hold on, Wyatt. Hold on. My one bad. More thing. If no, you're fine. You are fine. Um, well, yes, you can definitely subscribe to us. You know, we we obviously appreciate that. Um, I am a big advocate for communication with everything that we do here, including Coalescence Publishing. Um, even in my real life job and some of my other hobbies, communication, I think, is one of the greatest tools we have as a society. So with that being said, except email, for on Twitter, well, <laughs> um, if you want to reach out to us personally, I check this email multiple times a day. It's authors at coalescencepublishing.com. By all means, if you are an author and you want to reach out to us, reach out to us. If you're a listener and you just want to give us some ideas or just compliment us or even criticize us, email us. I will definitely respond back to you and I look forward to hearing from you guys. With that being said, Wyatt, let's delve into this little shenanigan stuff. Right. Uh, so... Uh, for the people who have kept up with our genre talks, you'll know that my philosophy towards world building is that you start with your themes and work from there. So, so for me, I think one of the things that we should cover in this episode is, is what kind of themes and, and maybe even what genre are we going to be what genre are we going to be gunning for and what themes work well with that genre what themes do we as writers want to talk about um so yeah casey you uh kick us off what do you think well man um you know i'm a sword and planet guy (laughs) gotta be sword and planet um, there's a lot of things we can do with sword and planet. We can even throw a little bit of dying planet in there. Um, but that, you know, I think that's what we should start off with kind of going to space a little bit, you know? Right. And at perfect timing because, uh, the new, I don't know if you've seen this, but the new, uh, masters of the universe is on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, now. So, so, uh, sword and planet let's give it a makeover, you know, like let's, let's take this, this cool swashbuckling spacefaring genre and, and give it a fresh coat of paint in this world. Um, I love the idea. So let's, uh, what kind of themes do you think work well with, with sword and planet? Well, man, it really depends on, on the mood i mean honestly when when i think of sword and planet there's factionalism there's oppression there's also this 
sense of dystopian society, you know, with it. But there's also the this theme of fantasy as well. So think you've you've heard of Dune, I'm sure, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of Dune. Yeah, so Dune is probably going to be one of my inspirations for this little adventure uh, just because they have a really awesome movie coming out this year. I totally recommend you all to go see it. Um, so in Dune, there's there's these... Obviously, the spice and there's a lot of drama that goes on with getting it. I'm not going to get into the plot of Dune, but... Definitely factionalism, oppression, dystopian society, and fantasy. Okay. Anything else you want to add to it? Yeah. So, so for inspiration, um, we're thinking of Dune. I think of also Jupiter Rising, um, which is a movie, but I'm fairly certain it was also a book. Uh, I, I might be wrong, but I'm fairly certain there was also a book. Uh, for Jupiter Rising. You are um, correct. It's by Zachary Brown. Yeah. I've read the book. It's a really good book. So so you've got Jupiter Rising. You've got... Uh, and those two share something um, that that could devote some inspiration to the, the kind of social fabric of this world, which is um, both of them have these kind of mashup of corporate of like corporations but also like ruling monarchical families so so dune has the 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 ruling uh, i'm not a huge dune fan so i don't know the exact terms but uh the that you have like this ruling family that controls the spice um and then in Jupiter Rising, you also have that that kind of dynamic of this this ruling class, and and Jupiter is a, is a part of it. She doesn't know, and that's how she gets wrapped up in this kind of intersolar system drama. Uh, and with Jupiter Rising in particular, actually has some more synchronicity with other Sword and Planet works in that she's kind of the the gender reversed earth man trope that is common with sword and planet, which is that in sword and planet stories, you have this common trope of the protagonist um, being a human from earth, somehow transported to this other planet and um, being in embroiled in, in whatever this other planets draw sometimes in a quest to get back to earth, but other times it's really just like adapting to a new situation and, and kind of exemplifying heroism in a new situation and a new social fabric. Um, so you could see something like that with, uh, Oh God, I can't remember. Um, it's, is it John something, uh, where they made a movie out of it, but it's originally a book. He he uh, is like a Confederate soldier. He gets transported to Mars, and he has like superpowers, basically. Oh, oh, um, oh, crap! I'm trying to think of his name. 
Mm-hmm. Um, John Carter of Mars. Yes, is, is John Carter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Carter of Mars is yeah. the book, but John Carter is is the Disney movie that they made. Um, I think it was Disney. Pretty sure it was Disney. Uh, but definitely like that trope of like the Earth Man or the Earth Woman, the Earth Hero, kind of being deposited in this new situation out of their depth for a little bit, but they, their, their ability to adapt to the new situation is actually part of what makes them a sword and planet hero. So definitely there's some inspiration there and and sword and planet just kind of thinking through this sword and planet is actually pretty unique in that it ties dystopian literature it ties that feeling of like this crushing weight of just a a terribly tyrannical society with a, a, a very classic hero arc which is not typical typically in a dystopian fiction the hero is not necessarily like a superhero with big muscles or skill like combat skills or anything like that in dystopian fiction. You think of like, uh, 19, 1982, uh, where the hero of the story is just the person who challenges the system the most. And most of the time doesn't win. And and the idea of like the hero coming into a dystopian system and an oppressive system, and actually introducing a feeling of randomness that disrupts the system and actually leads to a more heroic, sometimes bombastic, sometimes not arc that actually challenges the dystopian system at its core rather than just kind of surviving it. That that's a really interesting aspect of sword and planet that it's, it's swashbuckling action meets crushing dystopia mm-hmm. with a little bit of advanced technology thrown in the background you know it, it doesn't need to be the centerpiece um but definitely in the backdrop i i think that those are the characteristics of a true sword and planet story mm-hmm So So, talking about that, mm -hmm. uh, talking about that. Okay. So, so our themes basically that we're going to run off of is we're, we're going to be looking at the nature of oppression. We're going to be looking at, um, a factional system that kind of pits people against each other. Um, there's a lot of interesting ways that we could do that, like arena combat. That's an interesting way or, or just war, like in general. Um, and so we're looking at oppression, the nature of oppression, what can challenge oppressive systems, what kind of hero can challenge an oppressive system. And we're going to be, I I, I don't know, maybe if you want to agree with me on this, uh, but I, I think for me, like our listeners have heard before in our genre talks, I like more optimistic stories. I feel like, um, I want hope. You know what I mean? Like I want a story to give me hope that maybe 
something can bring change to to something that is a, a system that is oppressive or dystopian in a way. Um, so I think that would be really great if we focused on that, like rather than making the world feel crushing and hopeless, having the world kind of feel crushing and hopeless, but also having our protagonists be very optimistic characters, like kind of embracing, embracing a little bit of cheese in the fact that they're heroes. What do you think about that? I can definitely agree with it, Wyatt. Um, normally, when I'm writing a story or a book, I I have this weird thing where I want my characters to be somewhat realistic. And let's face it, in a realistic dystopian society, which, not to be political here, but we're kind of living in one, um, <laughs> Most people, they they aren't hopeful, man. Mm-hmm. But but for you know for this, I'll I'll agree with you. Um, nothing wrong with a little bit of hope, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's go for it. Um. So with that, that we have our themes, we have our genre. Um. So so one thing that I'm thinking about with that is like what kind of imagery or iconography is going to be key to our setting. So, you know, for instance, what kind of technology are we going to be dealing with? Like, is it going to be modern? Is it going to be advanced? Is it going to be pre-industrial? What what sort of technology is going to be featured in this world? Think. Think medieval era, you know, like Black Plague era, okay? Well, Black Death. You know, there's not really a whole lot going on on the planet besides a lot of death. Um, You know, people have swords, trebuchets, onagers, you you know, the the medieval stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. That type of technology at first, but in the background, when we really get into the sci-fi portion of the story, that can transition to a very subtle level of um, advanced technology like warp gates that take our protagonist onto this otherworldly universal adventure, you know, that's kind of what I'm thinking. So, so, so here's kind of like some of the images that are getting conjured in my head. Um, so, so fashioning the technology, particularly with regards to combat around medieval type of technology, but giving it like a sci-fi edge is kind of what I'm thinking. Um, and, and and so one idea, like you said, trebuchets, I'm like, okay, so what if, it's not trebuchets lobbing, um, lobbing rocks as much as it is um, some sort of like highly advanced trebuchet plasma cannon. You know what I mean? Whoa. Um, or and <laughs> yes. obviously, like we're not going to rip off Star Wars and make lightsabers or anything, but like swords made out of some kind of 
you know, titanium alloy that's like harder than steel and holds a sharp, like holds its sharpness and stuff like that. Um, or it, it morphs, it morphs to what the wielder wants it to be. That could be cool. Nothing crazy, but Mm -hmm. like, let's say, um, I have a sword and then there's these like alien cavalry creatures running towards me. Well, I'm going to want my weapon to turn into like a pike at that point. Okay. Okay. So like, yeah, yeah. Like, so, um, maybe like, I don't know. Have you seen any of the new, like the recent Terminator movie? The most recent one that came out. The one with, um, spoiler one is by the way, the one with, uh, Sarah Connor making a yes. comeback. Yes. yes. So, so, so what I'm getting, that's the image that I'm getting of like the Terminator who's able to like li- turn their body into liquid and mold it into some sort of different shape. Yeah. Um, some kind of crazy metal going on there. And, and here's the cool thing. Okay. Here's the cool thing. I, I know there's some like going to be in the comments. There's going to be some like of the hardcore, hard sci-fi realists coming in. That's not the, that's not the feel of sword and planet. Sword and planet is not hard sci-fi. It is science fantasy. Um, so, so the, the physics and like the, the, you know, how, how realistic does the science need to be? That's not in, That's not in consideration. Like we'll we'll probably consider that once we get into more details and stuff like that. But right now we're on this high level conceptual level, so we're not necessarily worrying about like what actual science says is possible. Um. Well, uh, yeah. Not not to cut you off, man. But when it comes down to the butter and bread of the situation, that's the glorious part about being writers, man. Is it doesn't have to fit the standard tropes, you know. We can make it whatever we want it to be, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, so uh, yeah, I like it. it. It's got like this pre-industrial feel of weaponry and stuff like that. But you know, you were talking about uh, Black Plague, and that kind of given gave me the image of like. Uh, uh, like a bubble city, you know what I mean? Like, like a, a, a bubble city that's get protected from a harmful atmosphere or something like that. Uh, and the, the bubble has actually like locked in a plague and this might be like getting too deep into more of like a plot than world building, but like this bubble has locked in a plague, you know, like the, and, and it has all these like habit, habitat tunnels like you see on on colony like colony building video games and like and colony building science and stuff it's all in these like habitat bubbles and they have like these glass tunnels branching off across the landscape leading to all the different zones of the city um you know that could be really interesting if a society lived in like a bubble highly advanced scientific city, but inside they're dealing with like, you know, a sort of black plague medieval situation. And like the guards are oppressive and they're just burning by like plague tale, but in space, you know what I mean? I don't know if you ever played plague tale. Um, And we could incorporate factionalism in that as well, because, you know, part of world 
building isn't necessarily creating a plot, but part of it is building a history for the plot. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's where we could incorporate factionalism at early on into the setting is in these bubble cities. Maybe there's these noble houses that vie for control and they oppress people by introducing these plagues and stuff. Mm, interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. So, so that's our, our technology. Uh, we've got our genre, we've got our themes, um, also about technology. How do we want to handle travel? Like, is it, I know, you know, if we're taking inspiration from Dune, then maybe there can be some sort of, um, primitive travel where you're riding around on some sort of animal, some sort of beast of burden. Um, but then sand ships, you know, like having sand ships, maybe, maybe they have, I remember, um, whenever I was a kid watching some sort of planet sort of adjacent shows like master of the universe. There was another one that I can't remember what it was called. Um, and also, uh, like Titan AE. I don't know if you ever watched Titan AE. Um, that's, that's kind of more of a science fiction, less sword and planet, but the technology, I love the idea of like a gringy, grungy, um, kind of oily oil punk rust bucket space program. Like you, you can go into space, but it's not like you're going, you can't cross the galaxy. You know what I mean? Like, like instead that's of, instead of you going into space with star Trek, you're going into space with Western era technology, almost in a sense where, you know, it's, there's a lot of rusty iron and a lot of steam mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily steampunk, but definitely like mm-hmm. that rusty iron look, that gringy, grungy, um, just rust bucket space program. Maybe that can be a society in and of itself. Like when we get down to building, um, like actual societies to fit into the world, maybe that is like a form of like society where the society, some people live in the bubble cities and under the governments and the noble houses. And then there's these, these like other people that chose to be, nomads and travel the desert or, or maybe like a, an alien race is the only people who can live in the desert. So they travel that way. Have you ever seen, um, treasure planet? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so, um, one, one of our commenters just mentioned treasure planet, like those little solar boards that the main guy rode around on something Mm kind of like that too. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's but, interesting. But I'm really liking the idea of just a really primitive, mm-hmm. you know, space space travel mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um. So so we've got that going on. Hmm. And maybe maybe these ships have like cannons, but they're not like you know glass the planet sort of cannons. They're just like you know I'm thinking. World War Two, like just gunpowder cannons on these ships, uh, and, and like they can wreak some devastation, and that's maybe how the society that runs this 
um, these ships and this kind of travel uh, protect themselves from the noble houses because the noble houses have Ooh. far more advanced technology. Maybe instead of gunpowder, it's some, it, you know, similar to gunpowder, but more powerful, mm-hmm. you know, like some type of space powder mm-hmm. and they, you know, it kind of brings them on more of an equal standing with the noble houses, but obviously not, not on that level. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. We've got some modes of travel going on. Um, so, so is there going to be, we'll, we'll probably go into this in more detail, but, um, I'm, I'm just kind of rolling with what my brain is bringing up about good world building points. And I'm thinking gods, are we going to have a form of religion or are we going to have, is it going to be a kind of atheist agnostic world where there's not gods or the gods are just cultural or is there going to be like, why don't we go in a little sci-fi ish here and have each of the noble family leaders be immortal by means of some type of science. It's not going to be explained. Is obviously. that too close to Dune though? No, 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 not, not too close to Dune. Because that's um, what the spice does, right? Is the spice keeps you alive. Yeah. But I'm talking like their bodies are literally morphed into some type of mm, okay. liquid and they, they give their orders out. To Ooh, yeah. People. I like and that. They can be considered godlike. That builds a cool scene in my head. That that builds a cool scene in my head of like, like an uh, an agent or a lieutenant of one of the noble houses going in to see the elder of the house, and they just there's just this pool in the middle of a chamber of like this gold silver metallic substance, and they just materialize up out of the pool, or. It's like, and then dissipate whenever they're done co- talking like that. That's a cool scene. And you could even go a little um, crazier just building off of your idea a bit here, Wyatt. Some type of protoplasmic fluid, like you said, but it's their body. Their body can barely hold a physical shape. So what they do is through the use of, you know, magnets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like ma- magnetic fields. Yeah. They could conjure themselves into some type of humanoid shape and they could discuss stuff with whoever. Mm-hmm. And that also builds another scene in my head, just going a little off topic here, but whatever, you know. Um, have you ever seen Neon Genesis Evangelion? I have not. Okay. So there's this really cool scene in it. It, spoiler warning again which honestly if you guys have not seen neon genesis i highly recommend you do it is very very existential and will probably make you eat a gallon of ice cream in an hour but anyways <laughs> um there's a scene with this secret organization called sele 
And Sele is essentially the Illuminati's Illuminati. You know, they these mm. are the seven people who run the world. And they never meet in person. Instead, they meet by holographic monoliths. And I'm envisioning this scene with all these like house elders who cannot hold a physical shape really. So they had this centralized meeting point where they just appear holographically based on the symbol of their, their house or what have you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that would be pretty cool. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, so uh, uh, one, one idea that I'm having and I, I'm, hopeful i'm hoping that this will actually like make you super happy because i i I, uh love the the cooperative energy this is one of my favorite parts of cooperative world building for all the writers in the audience um my this is one of my favorite parts about world building with another individual rather than just world building by yourself because this i this like bouncing off of ideas and inspiration is like one of the funnest parts but uh I'm having the idea of like, what if there are so, okay. You know how like most, a a lot of fantasy has like a dichotomy between evil gods and good gods. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm thinking of a world and maybe this won't work. We'll we'll probably get down to it in brass tacks whenever we get more into more detail on the setting. But like you have on one side of the cosmic scale, um, eldritch, Lovecraftian old oh, ones, oh, right for for yeah. for like the evil god. But they're not evil. They're just mm. like so magnanimous that they don't give a shit. Um, and on the other side, this, this makes me, this is like, I love the idea of just us writing these two things and like writing ways that they fight against each other. But, uh, on the other side of the spectrum, you have advanced artificial intelligence singularities. Okay. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Like an advance, both of them, both of these forces, like think about AI, think about an AI singularity. It's so, so it has so much information that we can no longer comprehend its level of, uh, computing power. You have that in opposition to Cthulhu Lovecraft monsters. <laughs> You know, the first thing that came to my mind when you mentioned AI, Wyatt, these super AI constructs, you know, these AI singularities fighting against these eldritch beings. What if one of the AI singularities tries to learn from these eldritch beings and in turn becomes twisted and corrupted and so on and so forth because the AI's understanding of reality 
is inherently, morphed. Inherently was originally based off of mortal design, but mm-hmm. now it it understands things beyond our comprehension, mm-hmm. and it corrupts itself. That could be very interesting. Mm-hmm. That could be very interesting. And I, I think from a world-building perspective, that gives us a lot of leeway because then then if we're going to take this towards like a sort of role-playing situation, we can actually have classes, right? Like we can have very classic D&D classes where the eldritch gods, the, the evil beings are kind of warlock patrons and, and stuff like that. And like sorcerers can be born from the blood. Like you have... You have um, Yugoloths, you know, like sorcerers born with like this eldritch magic. I don't know if that's necessary, how deep of a magic system we would want to build. But then you can also have clerics, quote unquote, which are more like sort of technomancers um, who are like plugged into the AI and the AI uh, sort of, I don't know if you ever played Mass Effect Andromeda, but... uh, in Mass Effect Andromeda, your main character is uh, has an, an AI implanted in his head, and the AI gives you the gives the character the ability to um, shift and morph his own physiology to to conduct different things. In the game, this creates gameplay where you can switch up powers. You can actually switch up like they're called profiles, which is like loadouts of different abilities. Um, but in the lore, it's actually changing his internal, the AI is actually changing his internal physiology to enable him to do these different things. And that's kind of what I'm thinking of, like a, a technomancer or like an AI god cleric that is like implanted with the AI and these singularities are able to like change the change the character's physiology to do what looks to looks to mortal people looks to you know normal people like magic it looks like magic it looks like um miracles but it's really just this ai doing what it knows how to do that we can't even comprehend mm-hmm. and it's like these equal but opposite forces of like ai that are inherently trying to reinforce reality and Cthulhu monsters, which are inherently trying to destroy reality and introduce chaos. My, my mind is so blown right now. Why <laughs> over that? I love it. <laughs> um, that's really gotten me excited about this. I'm not saying I wasn't excited before, but this is like super Saiyan level exciting. Mm. So, um, one last thing we're, we're at, uh, about 42 minutes. So we'll, we'll end up with this if you want. Um, I, I have an idea of how to fit humans into this. Okay. Um, like really play off of the classic sword and planet trope of like earth man comes to new planet. Yeah. And you might, you might disagree. You might have a different way you would like to go about this. I, I just, um, I come from way more of a science fiction background. So like I, that, that 
I'm coming up with like more science fiction ways of introducing some concepts. Um, but, um, okay. I'll say this and then I'll say what I'm thinking for humanity. Uh, I, I think it would be cool. Um, I don't know if how much you know about like, uh, exoplanets and, and other planets and stuff like that. But there's this, there's this concept, um, called being tidally locked, a planet being tidally locked to another body. So a moon can be tidally locked to a planet, which is the case for us. Our moon is tidally locked to us. Um, so the same face the same side of the object is always facing the object is tidally locked to. So the, the same face, we always see the same face of the moon. Um, no matter what, it does not revolve. Um, and then, so I'm, I love the idea of the setting being a tidally locked planet to a sun. And that, uh, what that does scientifically is, it creates two sides to the planet. One is a desert because it's facing the sun. It's constantly being heated and irradiated. Um, so water can't live there, can't exist there. And then the other side is an ice cap. The other side of the planet is constantly, excuse me, facing away from the sun and water constantly freezes. It can't be unfrozen. Um, and in some planets, depending on where they are in their solar system, um, there's what's called a terminator. Um, and the terminator is a ring around the planet that um, has liquid water due to the different heat uh, fluctuations. So, the Terminator has can have liquid water because there's this giant ice cap on one side, this giant desert on the other, and the hot air and the cold air are colliding and creating rain. Um, so you could theoretically have like a ring of jungle around the Terminator, and then you have desert on one side and complete total pitch black ice on the other side. You see what I'm saying? I think that's a really interesting setting. I really like the concept of that. It took me a minute to get my head wrapped around it, but I, I see what you're saying now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see us working with that. So my idea for how humanity fits in, this is my science fiction background coming in. So it, it, it could be tweaked to their different way that we could do it, but to incorporate some dying planet ideas, um, what if earth is dead? Like was destroyed. Another planet crashed into earth or the moon crash, like something happened to Earth that totally devastated the planet. It could have just been climate change. I hurt I whenever interject? I think about that, but yeah, go ahead. So I've been thinking of this idea 
for about the past 10 minutes. <sighs> Have the protagonist be this guy who is living in, you know, Black Death era, you know, going back to that again. But the Black Death in the story, instead of it affecting just humans, it has affected everything. It has infected the wildlife. It has infected the trees. It, it is literally something that kills every single thing that it comes in contact with. And our protagonist is on this, this dying planet, you know, this dying earth, because, you know, all the trees are dying, all the leaves are dying, because there's nothing that can stop this. And... You know, one thing leads to another. I'll let your sci-fi mind kind of play into how this happens, but boom. He gets, I don't know, warped to this new setting. You know, this mm -hmm. tidally locked planet. And he's seeing similar things happen, but in mm -hmm. these bubble cities. And there's kind of like that correlation, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, even though this society is far more advanced or in his eyes, more magical. There are similarities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like he or, sees the same problems. Yeah. So, so, so here's what I was, I was thinking. So, uh, okay. From, from a book perspective, a novel perspective, um, there is a million and different and one different ways that we could do this one character getting to this other planet. It, it could be like a stargate or some sort of teleportation. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you could do it. Um, my from uh, a novel, but also novelist, but also a role playing world builder. I like the idea of there being maybe more than just one human character of like maybe a small select group of humans that make it to this planet um again sorry to interrupt you um one of our commenters asked us why does earth even have to exist you can have humans without specifically having earth that's a good that's a good point um we could do that this is just my world building brain i like i'm thinking of this in our war in our universe, but it, it could be just like star Wars where like, okay, well just humans exist, you know, like whatever. Um, my idea, I was going to say, uh, this, my idea and we can run with this or we don't, we don't have to, but my idea was that, um, earth is a dying planet situation. However you want to spend that. And then, uh, a, basically a, an arc, a colony ship, leaves earth and goes into cryo. And then like thousands of years later crashes on this tidally locked planet. And the colony ship actually kind of acts as a sort of hub for humanity in this tidally locked world. And humanity is new. Humanity is the aliens, just like in any other sort of planet story. Um, and you have this small, group of like maybe 2000 humans arriving on this planet and, and now becoming embroiled in this new planet's politics. And 
and uh you know in a novel it could be one character it could be a uh you know you know a few characters but they correlate they these these human characters are able to correlate look what happened at earth look look at you know what earth became when we allowed these things sort these sorts of things to happen that plays into the themes where a, where a, a, you have a group of humans who watched what happened to earth escaped and now have a chance to live again, but they're on a planet facing these, this oppression, this tyranny, these noble families and corporate houses and stuff like that. Um, and they have to be, uh, they are kind of like the random factor in the story that come in and be like, listen, this is not going to work out for you. And they get to kind of fight the bad guys in that, in that zone. You know what I mean? I think that builds a good precedent for a highly optimistic story about humanity getting a second chance to fix our wrongs, even though our planet died. I really like that. Absolutely. Wyatt, I'm excited about all this, man. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Like, at first, when we first discussed the, you know, full transparency, I wasn't quite sure how we were going to pull this off. But man, this is, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> um, I think we're at a good stopping point. Mm-hmm. Um, we got some stuff we can go over for the next episode and all this stuff. Um, do you have anything you want to say to our wonderful listeners while we're here? Um, if you made it to this point, thank you for, uh, sticking with the video. Um, hopefully this will be a very rewarding experience for you as we continue to, to build this world and, um, you get to be a part of it. You know, Casey has been, uh, we, we have been keeping up with, our commenters and taking your suggestions, taking your ideas. So uh, this is not just me and Casey. This is a community project. And we, we, I personally love it when I see that our videos have been watched from beginning to end. Um, seeing that level of engagement is, is incredible. Yeah. And Wyatt, I think I'm safe to say this, but, um, you know, if you all are interested in, you know, maybe even being a guest one day with us while we world build together. Um, you can email us. We'll go over it and see what we can figure out. You think that'd be fine, Wyatt? Sure. I mean, there's a dozen different ways we could have a live. We could make these videos live stream. Uh, we just need to get more subscribers because uh, on YouTube, at least, I believe there's a subscriber limit before you can have live streams. So tell your friends share these videos if they love world building and writing then share these videos and uh get our name out there so that we can have more live streams more patreon community meetings and and discord meetings and stuff like that and, and don't forget to check out the discord too yeah our discord's currently being um renovated right now we just want to make sure it's kind of streamlined for you guys um because we really are trying to build a community here and we want it to be as appealing to everyone 
So with that being said, um, again, if you like the content you see, by all means, feel free to support us by liking our podcast, subscribing, you know, all that fun stuff that you do. And otherwise, if you're a reader, keep on reading. If you're an author, keep on writing. And more importantly, enjoy the small things in life. Wyatt, I think it's time we go grab some coffee. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time.